Today's guest is Reba Magulik. She's a founding senior partner at DA Group and a volunteer with AFCIA Nova. She hosted a very interesting podcast series that I, I really enjoyed watching called A New Way to Win. And she is very soon, and we'll talk about it at the, at the end, uh, launching a new talk show slash podcast series titled East Coast Hustle. I'm very interested to hear what that's gonna be about. So, but thank you for joining me today, Reba. Oh, what a pleasure, Jeremy. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. So for those who have not met you at a networking event and had a drink together, <laughs> talk a bit about yourself, where you're from, uh, who you are and what you do. Absolutely. So again, Reba Magulik, um, I'm the founding partner of the D8 group. We founded the business about five years ago. And the easiest way to explain it is that our business, D8 group, we help government contractors position to ethically win government contracts. And that's, you know, through a variety of ways. You've heard of pipeline development, which is federal opportunity pipeline development, business development support, capture support, introductions, anything that we can do to help navigate uh, clients throughout our beloved government contracting space. And, um, you know, I've been in the DC area since 84, believe it or not, married to a, a Marine veteran, um, I have three children, went to business school at UVA and earned my MBA um, in 2003. And really, I've been in GovCon about 18 years, um, certain, served a number of different roles. Now, on the industry side, you know, just to specify, I've never really served uh, like yourself in the government capacity, although I wish I had. But, um, you know, program management, business development, general uh, management roles where I ran PL number of different roles um, in the whole uh, government contracting award um, uh, life uh, span. Mm -hmm. But basically, I landed on business development. And that's really been the focus of D8 Group, Jeremy, because in all those roles, business development was my very favorite role. Uh, and it's kind of a weird thing to say because it's a weird job, but it's purely because I help companies, I enjoy helping companies to win and grow their businesses. And it's a real void. People need that. Every business needs that. Um, and having had a lot of success uh, in my career supporting other government contractors before I launched D8 Group, it was just the impetus I needed to kind of muster up the guts to say, hey, I'm going to go start, uh, hang up my own shingle, test out this hypothesis. Would people hire D8 Group? to help them out. Um, this really the, it was driven from a passion to give industry a fresh and different approach. Our, our motto is a new way to win. Um, so anyhow, five years after starting the company, we're sitting here now with over 85 companies um, in our client base that span from startups uh, to very large systems integrators and even Silicon Valley. Oh, wow. So rewinding the clock a little bit, did you always know you wanted to go into business? Is that why you got an MBA or what, you know, what, what was kind of the decision in terms of what you did for college? No, great question, Jeremy. Um, I know this is gonna sound a little crazy, but I actually believe that I always knew that I wanted to be a businesswoman. <laughs> <laughs> like when I was a little girl, I think I had like a little briefcase and you know, <laughs> wanted to, I pictured myself in a little suit, you know, so you could say I'm living, living out my, fantasy, my weird geek within fantasy <laughs> of being a businesswoman. And I studied very purposefully. I went to UVA and went to the McIntyre School of Commerce, 
studied business, went on to do my MBA. And I would say even after that, continued the business education because again, the geek within me actually loves to read um, business books, you know, good to great. Like it seems, maybe it seems odd, but I just, I'm fascinated, not necessarily with any particular industry, but the overlay of business, which is what makes what I do today so exciting. It's almost like a, a front row uh, MBA, you know, times two, because we're working with real clients and they're opening up about their real problems and we're actually trying to solve them in real time. So it's fun. Wow. That's really interesting. So you, you also mentioned you decided, you know, hang up your, hang your own shingle and see who would come. How <laughs> was that? Right. That's a, that's a, a scary moment. How, how did you get to the point where you were like, okay, this is it. We're going to do it. How, how did that come about? So everything starts from a place of pain. I wish it could be always that the inspiration was enough, right? I mean, there's always this itch that I needed to scratch. Um, I've got entrepreneurship in my blood, but let me preface by saying that I am definitely not your um, risk-taking, you know, jump off the cliff without a pair a parachute type of person. I would say my dad is like, he's really, you know, and I think I was following in his footsteps a little bit, but I never really had the guts to take a big plunge like that. Although in the back of my mind, I always felt like, Reba, you really got something here. Like you should try, you might be good at this, like that tiny voice, but just kept ignoring it. I mean, you know how it is. You've got children, you've got your mortgage. I actually had a good career. So, you know, great salary, um, great responsibilities, respected. Um, uh, so it's like, that made it even harder, Jeremy, because it's like, how do you leave a situation that actually isn't so bad? But when I say that it starts from a place of pain, I think the pain got bad enough. And when I say pain, I mean, and I'll talk about this a little bit more too, but having to prove myself over and over again, working within the constraints of um, systems and uh, procedures that were antiquated. And after a while, I'm like, there's got to be a different way to do this. This is ridiculous. And why am I, you know, you, you gain confidence after a certain point. You're like, I know what I'm talking about. I know what I'm doing. Why do I have to prove myself to this group of people in this room poking holes in, in um, my plans? And I know it's their job to do that, but I'm like, screw this, man. I think the pain finally hit a breaking point where I'm like, screw that. And at that point I had just turned 40. So I think it was like a mini midlife crisis. You know, I'm like, Hey, now or never. So I told myself, I gave myself a deadline. That's why I call myself kind of like the chicken entrepreneur because I went forth with a very, very safe plan. Parachute number one, parachute number two, before I jumped off the cliff. But I was like, let me start, make sure I have a couple of clients, give myself a deadline. And, you know, spoke with my husband because of course he's nervous too. He's like, why are you you're, you're making this great money. And like, how's this going to impact our family? But I said, honey, just give me, I think it was six months. I said, give me six months to try this out. And by the way, I gave myself permission to fail. I was like, if in six months, this doesn't succeed, I'm going to go back and get a job. You know, because the, the industry is plentiful for business development talent. Um, so, and, and I would not consider that a failure. That would still be a success because now I could go through my little checklist of life and say, check, I, I, I tried entrepreneurship and it didn't work, but I, at least I tried it because I think trying and how, even if you fail is still a success because you tried, right? So, um, but as luck would have it, 
um, things have been going really well and the hypothesis proved itself true. And I almost wish I had started earlier. <laughs> <Looking back now. laughs> I think I've heard that from a lot of people who start their own business going, wow, it, 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 when it's successful, you're always like, wow, I really wish I'd done that sooner because I get that pain. I mean, I'm in, I'm in government bureaucracy. I get what you're saying about bureaucracy and having to check a box for no good reason. Um, but yes, so that's interesting. So, and in terms of, you know, as you get those first few clients, does then that help you then snowball to the next client, to the next client? It really did. It really did. And I know I make it sound so easy because I've had so many friends who have come up to me afterwards and have said, oh, Reba, I'm so frustrated too. How, you know, can I do what you do? And I tell them, and maybe I was too much sugarcoating in the beginning. I'm like, heck yeah, you can do what I do. There is endless uh, money. Um, well, not endless, but you know, there's plenty of money in our industry for good ideas and good talent. And if you're hardworking um, and passionate, uh, it sounds like cliche, but you really can do it. I think the only, I think, and I will even say this, I, since leaving and starting my own business, I see my family more. I really do. I see my family a lot more. Um, I have more time to myself. I have more time to think um, and honestly make a lot more money too. It's like the trifecta. Like you didn't think it was possible, but, but the starting point is you do actually have to be good at something. Like, I don't care if it's like you're a fitness trainer, whatever it is, you're a guitar instructor, whatever it is, like you do legitimately have to be good at it. But if you've got that, you can build from it. That's so true. There's inspiration for the next entrepreneur. <laughs> I hope been so. waiting for somebody to give them the validation. They can do it. You can do it. Go do it. <laughs> so, so as you've gone through your career and you, you've worked at a variety of places, um, so you've always been in BD, even when you worked all the way back at Ford, which I think is so amazing that you worked for a Ford Motor Company because it's so yep. different than where we are today in the government uh, contracting. hundred oh, percent. Was there a lot about that role that prepared you for the future roles? I love that question. I would say in so the universe works in so many interesting ways, right? Like uh, it's not until you look backwards, you're like, oh, that's why that happened. So <laughs> The Ford Motor Company is the best thing that could have happened to me. It's entirely different, obviously. And I was in the marketing and sales division. And really, my role was to wholesale cars to the car dealers, but also to you know, provide consulting, new signage, you know, all this other stuff. But really, the crux of the job was go sell 100 uh, vehicles wholesale to the car dealers. Now you would think, oh gosh, well, that's an easy job. No, because the car dealers had say-so, like they didn't have to take what the factory was sending them and the factory could not shut down. So here we are as zone managers right in the middle. Jeremy, that job, you might have to edit this out or I'll try not to use bad language, but it kicked my butt. <laughs> it kicked my butt. It was the uh, that year Ford made a special attempt to hire women and minorities and dude, I was like 22 years old and every zone manager that had preceded me, they were all like, you know, 30 something males. Mm. And most of the people in the car dealerships were male. So it was such a, it was like an odd creature walking in with their wholesale sheet, trying to wholesale them vehicles. Uh, they were tough. They were mean, they were intelligent. Um, but I thank uh, my lucky stars was that job, even though there are many, 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 many days in tears, you know, as a young person, it really toughened me up. And when I started to get good at it, 
and realize that, hey, if I can earn their respect and I can build a relationship, um, they'll meet me halfway. Mm. Um, and also, I'll do one other interesting aside, uh, working in a, a truly a man's world, one thing that I really respected about witnessing the men in that industry was that I'd be sitting as the intern, you know, taking notes, watching this. These wholesale meetings were brutal. I mean, people had red-faced, angry curse words going on. And I'm sitting there thinking, wow, you know, I'm accompanying the zone manager who's training me. I'm like, this is going to be my job. As soon as they walked out that door, these guys that I thought, oh, I swear they hate each other. They're patting each other on the back. Like, hey, I'm going to see you Saturday on the golf course, right? Or we're going to go shooting or whatever. To me, it was really fascinating. I'm like, this is amazing that, that they can so cleanly separate this heated dis business discussion from their personal relationship. And I really respected that. And that kind of gave me the confidence. So sorry, this is kind of long-winded answer to no, your question, cool. but coming back to how it helped me today and how it shaped me today, after that job, I don't think there was any job you could give me that I would fear. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? So like, as you and I were discussing before the call, for a lot of people, it's really scary to walk into a room full of strangers, right? You're in a conference and you're like, what do I say? Do I even fully understand my company yet to pitch their wares to, you know, somebody that a stranger that I meet at this table? It's really frightening. But like I said, that job kind of because it had thickened up my skin and gotten me accustomed to what it feels like to have somebody say no to you and to reject you, you know, what you're offering them. Um, it's just, I mean, it was like a cakewalk to be able to go. So like, if I met you at a networking event, I'm like, Hey, Jeremy, let me tell you about what I do. You know, I'd love to partner with you, or I'd love to support your agency. And you're like, mm, not, not really fit. I could walk away from that and still have a professional, nice relationship with you, mm -hmm. but it would, it would make me uh, brave enough to go do it again and again and again. And I, and I kind of think that that's really what fed my success it, as a business developer in the federal government contracting space. Wow. Yeah, I can see how that would completely relate to what you do for a living, helping other companies get into that space as well. Yeah, it's weird, right? You would never think there's a correlation, but looking back now, I see the patterns and how the puzzle pieces fit together. Wow. So, so as you've gone through um, your career, what's something you've witnessed that if, if we were to come to you, Reba, and say, Reba, today you have the power. Today you can help us make a change that should be changed. Uh, or, or, or maybe, you know, because it's so hard to make change, a change we should consider changing. What's something you've witnessed in your career that, that you wish would be changed? Sure. Um, and this is going to be possibly more from the industry side than the government side. And I believe that many of my brothers and sisters out there in the business development world <laughs> will be nodding in fierce agreement with this. But this has really been on my heart lately uh, because as a consultant to industry, now we've had a chance to peek behind the kimonos on like 88 different companies, not to mention hundreds of companies that we match make them with, you know, that we outreach for teaming, et cetera. So we've gotten to touch and work with hundreds and hundreds of government contracting firms of all different sizes and witness their pains and issues on the inside, right? I'm very worried, Jeremy. Like I'm actually very, very worried for our industry, genuinely on one factor. And I believe what needs to change is the culture and processes behind a typical government contracting aid, uh, contractors growth center. Hmm. So if I'm, you know, Reba Magulik, Government Contractor Inc., 
the way in which uh, business development procedures are being done today, it's growing, it's getting increasingly demoralizing, ineffective, and causing turnover, I believe, at unprecedented rates. Like, it's weird. We're the consultant, but I feel like we're becoming the constant sitting on the other side, watching people go through the raw revolving door. Mm-hmm. And what happens is when that happens, you can't gain traction. You can't, you know, move forward because now someone else is coming in and having to learn the processes. And, and I mean, I could get a little more specific, but I'm worried that the old way of doing business development is uh, antiquated. And if companies in our industry don't evolve and adapt to new ways of winning, they're going to suffer in, uh, uh, extinction. Mm. I truly, truly worry about this. The way that they're treating people um, or the, the gate review process. Um, and again, I don't mean to get too you know in the weeds here, but like I said, there's going to be violent agreement, I believe. Uh, the problem is, let me just put it this way. You get so caught up with the dog and pony show because the dog and pony show is so painful and you have so many layers of management trying to bless or poke holes in, in your uh, what you're you know trying to pitch um, that you your eyes get off the target, which is winning and growing, mm-hmm. right? So like, or whatever, you know, replace it with whatever, whatever the mission is. If I'm so focused, Jeremy, on impressing you in a meeting or rather just trying to do the bare minimum so that you don't tear me apart in public, right? So I don't have to suffer embarrassment. Then my whole focus is going to be like, let me spend 40 hours on this presentation for Jeremy versus let me put my best energy ideas and thoughts around how to win. Mm, so so yeah. that, that's, that's one thing I would change for sure. Wow. I, I completely feel that. I, I, I worked in the industry for a number of years myself and on proposal teams and trying to win work. I, I completely can see what you're talking about. There's, there is a dynamic there. Well, it's like any position, right? If, if mm-hmm. there's a large amount of turnover, that's lost time and revenue for a business. Oh, heck yeah. And I mean, how's anybody supposed to learn and move forward and grow? I think what ends up happening is that you're just living in fear. Like even if you go in there with, um, you know, uh, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, excited, want to do something, I've seen the soul just crushed out of really well-meaning people as they get gobbled up by the enterprise and all its meaningless, um, you know, processes. That's what I was looking for. The meaningless, unnecessary processes. Shorten the number of processes and focus on the goal. The second thing I would change is I might consider changing the profile uh, characteristics of the talent that people are currently using to hire business development and growth executives, um, as well as changing the way in which they're trained and rewarded. And I'll kind of sum it up this way. I don't think that you can put a farmer into a hunter's role mm. because each one is a, an important skill set. You know, your program manager better be a great farmer, you know, really take care of your shepherd, the sheep, you know, or shepherd, you know. But a hunter and a farmer are going to bring two different uh, sets of talents to the table. So I would most definitely change that. I would say as you're interviewing people and you're bringing people in, and if somebody is a hunter, they're going to be enticed and rewarded. The way that you reward them is going to entice and motivate their behaviors differently than it would for a farmer. And I'm not saying comparing or saying one is better than the other, but I'm just saying that in specific roles, 
you have to be mindful of this. No, that's interesting. I totally can see that. So, so, so what's next? What's next for D8? What's next for you? I mean, you <laughs> teased it a little at the beginning and I'm so very interested in hearing a little bit more about it. Uh, but, but is there anything else other than the uh, East Coast hustle that's coming up for you as well? Or is that, is that the primary thing you're focused on? Well, I'll tell you, starting with D8 Group, our plan is simply to keep growing the business, offering a great place to work for people like-minded who are passionate about this mission. Um, but then also what I'd like to do down the road, just, um, you know, I'll answer the D8 question first, and then I'll, I want to talk about East Coast Hustle. But um, I'm interested in creating and launching a stewardship type program for new college grads that maybe run them three to six months through an apprenticeship with D8, where we can give them hands-on training with real clients and real issues and kind of frame their thinking about this is the difference between BD and capture. Here are the steps, you know, just the basics of what you should be doing to be a great business developer. Know your agency inside and out, like, you know, those 101 type of things. Um, and at the conclusion of the program, actually turning around and helping to place them in industry. Ooh. Because Jeremy, I don't know if you get this, but I get like maybe, you know, three, four inquiries a week. Oh, um, is there anybody that you would recommend? I, you were looking for good junior BD talent, et cetera. So that's what's next. I don't know how soon in the future, as soon as I can slow down and pay some attention to it. I think that if somebody doesn't address this issue, there's going to be a major void of talent because those of us that are in our 40s and 50s who've been doing this for years and are good at it, we're going to start to exit. Who's backfilling? Who's training them? And I just, I really sense there's a void that D8 Group can help uh, bridge. Um, and then getting beyond D8 Group, I'd say I'm laying the foundation as we speak for my chapter two, if you will. Uh, I've done some podcasting, as you mentioned. And this fall, we're launching a talk show slash podcast called East Coast Hustle, which is filmed in a studio, a proper studio under direction of a Hollywood experienced producer. Um, what's cool about this, Jeremy, is that we focus on the journey of success and the unexpected pleasures, but also the pains mm. along this path. So we have a really exciting lineup of guests. We've got sponsors who are expressing a great deal of interest in this project because time will tell who the real target market is, but we do think that it's going to be um, successful executives in government, success, successful executives on the industry side. But, you know, when you look at folks, you kind of think, oh, well, they've got it all together. They were always that way. But no, you know, this is the one issue that I have with, um, you know, the D.C. area a little bit is that it's political, right? So we're so about putting our best face forward, showing all the most you know, glowing accolades and awards on our resume. Look at me, look at how wonderful I am. But that's not the intent of East Coast Hustle. East Coast Hustle really is to show kind of the thorns along the path. And I gotta tell you, Jeremy, like it's gonna be long, you're gonna start seeing official episodes in September. We're wrapping up our editing this summer and all that good stuff. But there are some really, really good stories some really thought-provoking content um, that I think people are going to be surprised about. Like, oh, I didn't know that person had to go through that. I would never have guessed. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's what's next. <laughs> oh, I'm going to be, I'm going to be a number one fan. I'm looking forward to the <laughs> podcast and, uh, and seeing the interesting people. I, I agree with you. I mean, I meet a lot of people as you do at, with such dynamic stories and they're such dynamic leaders today, but then you hear about the, 
complete debolical they made or of, of a previous yeah. thing or you know, which caused the learning, right? The it generated learning and, mm-hmm. and understanding and uh, put them on a better path to, to where they are today. Exactly, exactly. And uh, I don't know, to me, I try to ask myself, would I watch this? Would I listen to it? I really wanted to put something similar to what you're doing. You know, you're putting out content that people find interesting. It's very authentic. People want to listen to it and hear it. Um, I want to do the same thing because I think that people, if I can connect with you as a human being, now, if you're going to tell me about what it is you do for a living, I'm listening to it differently. Or if we have a business conversation there's going to be different cross correlations. And so I think it serves many purposes, East Coast Hustle. Well, that's fantastic. Well, Reba, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. It's been great getting to know you and I'm very excited for your next venture and for all that you're doing. It's the whole thing with D8 and going out <laughs> on your own is it's always great to celebrate people who have done that. So, but thank, thank you for coming in and talking with me today. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much, Jeremy.